Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Oh, welcome. A warm, warm welcome to all our listeners. I'm Adel Kozilski. This is 101.5 High FM, and I'm excited to be back actively in the seat of Healthy You, Wealthy You show. Uh, we had a little bit of a hiatus there where we weren't uh, recording live because Faggy had a baby. Faggy, welcome, and muzzle talk. Thank you, Adel. It's truly so good to be back. We haven't been on the radio for quite a while for now. Well, I mean, no. we were away December. So much going on. Yes, maybe now you think it's quite a while just because you, you don't know the difference between day and night right now, feeding your baby. <laughs> but it's good to be in the swing of things, and uh, we wish you a heartiest mazel tov. You should have lots and lots of nachas. Thank you so much. Thank you. You, you truly are blessed. Indeed, indeed. And just talking about babies today, we have a very exciting show. We are honored to have Dr. Lawrence Gobitz. Um, who's going to join us. Uh, Dr. Gobert is a well-known name in South Africa. He received his medical training. Here he has, he's a fellow of the College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and he is recognized by the South African Health Professionals Council as a reproductive medical specialist. He's been around since February 1990 and also did postgraduate training in the United Kingdom and Belgium. And of course, his interest is in the evaluation and treatment of the infertile couple, recurrent pregnancy loss, PCOS, endometriosis, male infertility, and the effect of spinal cord injuries on fertility. So we have a lot to speak about. If you would like to ask Dr. Gobitz any questions, you can uh, SMS the, the line on 34519, or our telegram number is 061-895-1019. Without further ado, Dr. Gobitz, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adele. Uh, it's lovely to be here with you. Hi, Fagi, Mazeltov, and uh, thank you so much, Dr. Gobitz. I hope you're getting some sleep. Yeah, with with Adele's advice, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I said to Fagi that do you know what the problem is? Is that you raise your kids; they're, they're 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 all experiments, and so you experiment on all your kids. And by the time you finish, then you know what it is that you you have to do. But then it's too late because uh, the experiments are over. But. Uh, but, but. There's no experimentation, Adele. In my days, my mother had a book called Dr. Spock. Yes. And that book told, told you exactly what to do. This was in the 50s. So I'm just giving my age away. But, yeah, you get, there are manuals out there, you know. <laughs> Look what happened. I, I was a Dr. Spock baby. Look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think in this day and age, there's just too many opinions. That's the problem. We don't know who yeah. to turn to. <laughs> Yeah. And that's why we're running the show, because we want to educate people. We want to empower people to uh, live healthier lifestyles. So uh, to kick off the discussion, Dr. Gobitz, you know, it seems that the trend of infertility is, is, is certainly on the uprise, you know, maybe 25 years ago. Was it because we were uneducated and people just went without? Or are you seeing a difference in, you know, in, in, in your years of practice that, that more and more people are needing in, um, infertility treatment? 
Yeah, you know, we, we're quoting for Teddy as, I mean, firstly, if we define it, it's a, also a strange definition because you say, well, if the woman's under the age of 35, um, the couple should at least try for a year. And uh, if the woman's over the age of 35, you should try for six months and then go and seek help. So that already says one thing. It says, obviously, we need to be aware of the older female. And I, you know, I always say that uh, in my day when I grew up in Benoni, um, my, my mother had a half-day job together with all her friends. They helped GPs and accountants and lawyers. And then they would play poker in the lounge uh, in my home in Benoni. And you, you couldn't see that they were playing poker for cigarette smoke, um, which we can discuss. And uh, at the end of the day, everyone sitting around that table had three kids by 22. And yeah. today the reason... And why we are seeing more infertility is because the average age of a female setting out to start her family is much older. Right. And uh, there's a big difference in, 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 in a male versus a female and how the ovary works in relation to how the testicle works. So that's our biggest problem. But across the board, you would, you would look at it as being about a 10% incidence. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's race group, you know, um, n- nothing makes a difference. Everybody has the same incidence. So, but definitely, if we look at the average age of the woman coming to us now versus 15 years ago, the average age of the woman has uh, skyrocketed upwards in excess of 36, 37 years old at the time that they want their first baby. And so age is a major problem. Like, what is the percentage of people that are planning in advance, knowing that they want to only have children when they're later, like at a later stage. And is that also a better option to freeze eggs, you know, in, in like in advance? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the most important thing today is that females will um, complete their, their schooling. They will then go to university and uh, often it's not one degree, it's two or three degrees. And uh, by the time they then settle down and find Mr. Wright. Uh, and sometimes today, after five years, Mr. Right is Mr. Wrong. Um, <laughs> and then they 38 or 39 with the second Mr. Right. So uh, our, our main issue is not, I'm not saying that women shouldn't do this, but what Fagy is saying is, and it's a very important factor, is that unless you're told biologically how your ovary works, um, and, and the fact is that women are unfortunately given a genetic age at the time of their fertilized egg becoming them as as an embryo and that genetic age is a basket of eggs in their ovaries we do not make new eggs and those eggs are programmed to die off so at the end of the day a fetus at 20 weeks in a mother's womb has got 6 million eggs and these studies have been done from fetal studies Um, at birth the average fetus has 1 million eggs I'm talking about a female fetus at puberty take rough age 12, 13 that same both ovaries now only have about 300,000 eggs and what happens is as the woman gets older so does her ovaries get older, her egg basket gets older, and her egg basket gets less and less because those eggs are programmed to die off. So as you get older, a woman of 38 does not have the same monthly potential as a 21-year-old. And our understanding of ovaries is that the ovaries usually at its peak somewhere between 16 and 26. And after that, one goes on the downhill. But interestingly... 
the earlier you start conceiving and the more you continue conceiving, you will be able to continue conceiving probably into your mid to late 40s. But if you've never had a conception and you now start out at 38 or 40 or 42, you're going to have immense difficulty. So somewhere along the line, the pregnancy itself at early days and ongoing continuous conceptions seems to be a protective mechanism within the ovary. But the longer you wait to have that first child, the more difficult it is going to be. And we are faced today with this modern society of women trying to, you know, get, get their degrees behind and get money in the bank then find Mr. Right. So, Fagi, you were, you were highlighting the fact that could you put your, uh, your fertility preservation or could you put your fertility on hold? And today you can. So we can freeze eggs. And the best time to freeze eggs preferably is under 32. But if you only wake up now and you're 36 and you want to freeze eggs, uh, yeah, we always say 12 or 15 eggs in the bank are much better than no eggs in the bank. But the earlier you freeze, the better. And, uh, you know, currently egg freezing is, is, is relatively young, not experimental. We run our egg bank on frozen eggs and get very good pregnancies, very much similar to fresh eggs. So our technology really only become robust for freezing eggs uh, at about uh, 2013, 2014. Um, so, yeah, that's the best way of doing it. But also to know that when you freeze eggs, and let's say we have 20 eggs in the, babe, in the, in the, in the uh, freezer, 20 eggs is not equal to 20 babies, so you don't have two soccer teams. And, and we can explain that later why, what does that mean. Um, and the other thing is it doesn't mean because you froze an egg you're not going to try on your own. And only if you don't conceive on your own will you then rest on your frozen eggs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, interestingly, those, those frozen eggs give the patient the same potential as what her age potential was at the age that she froze her eggs. We're listening to Dr. Lawrence Gobitz, um, and we are going to have, we are having a discussion on uh, fertility, infertility. If you'd like to join the conversation, 34519 is our SMS number, 061-895-1019, Telegram. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Well, this is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. I'm Adel Kozilski with Fagy Stern, and we are in conversation with Dr. Lawrence Gobitz, and we've started discussing... Um, the fertile uh, uh, range that a woman is in. Doctor, is there is there different types of infertility? Like, can we classify, classify infertility into different uh, boxes, or is infertile infertile? No, well, we, we say, firstly, if you look at it from the gender point of view, what percentage are male, what percentage are female, and then what percentage are combination. So when we teach the students, it's much easier to remember things in thirds. So we say usually about a third is a female, third male, and one third is a combination. So then you've got to look at the issues of male infertility. What could the reasons there be? And that could range from anything from a normal sperm count, but the sperm lack the ability to fertilize the egg, to a subnormal semen analysis where you're going to need to assist the couple through to there being no sperm in the ejaculate. And there are many reasons for that. And today we get sperm directly out of the testicle and we inject single sperm into eggs with a process called ICSI and achieve 
receive live-born babies. And then you look at the females. So the females would start off at, and as I say, I go back and I, I would start first at eggs. Then you would look at pathway. Is there a problem with the womb? Are there abnormalities in the uterus? Are the tubes open? Are the tubes blocked? Is there perhaps problems within the pelvis? Maybe there was a sexually transmitted disease that disturbed the anatomy and the tubes can't pick up eggs. The tubes are like creepy crawlies. They, they have to go and cover the ovary to pick up an egg. And, uh, you know, an egg is microscopic. It's 0.0125 of a millimeter. You can't see it with the naked eye. So if that tube cannot cover the ovary to pick up the egg, that patient's not going to fall pregnant naturally. So, and then at the end of the day, it could be a combination of factors. It may be a 41-year-old who's got three eggs left and a male who is uh, perhaps 49 and uh, he's got five sperm and you can give each one a name. You know, they're in big trouble. So each couple is different. And you have to look at the problem holistically. Um, you know, for, for us, um, to look at the male is, uh, and if we talk of it from a lachic point of view, um, it's quite simple because we can scan the female, see when she's ovulating, and we can get them to have intercourse. And the following morning, we can extract the mucus from the cervix, and we can see, is there sperm in the mucus? And from that, we can get a really good idea of what the sperm is like. So from a halachic point of view, we address those issues within our unit at VitaLab, and we make sure that that aspect is covered for our patients because that's one of the things that they get scared of. They think, well, you know, you're going to a unit where they don't understand the halakha and, uh, you know, how am I, I'm going to be forced to do things which are not uh, supposed to be done. So we're very sensitive to that. But, yeah, at the end of the day, one-third, one-third, one-third. Then, so then the question is, is just if, if we, you know, we're all blessed, well, lots of us are blessed with young daughters, you know, that are going into puberty that, you know, obviously going to, to, to take the path into womanhood and motherhood. Are there specific things that you could um, suggest that, 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 that young women in, in their adolescence years do, or maybe, maybe it stretches back even earlier than that, that will help ensure or, you know, uh, give the ability for the, for, for the girl to, to have natural pregnancies? Because a lot of, a lot of the time you, you listen now today, uh, you know, with the, the milk, uh, the hormones and milk, for example, or, uh, you know, medications. Uh, and all of these things affect, obviously, the child as they're growing up. Like, what, what would be the good, good pointers for mothers to know and not to do or maybe to do with their daughters to ensure that they have the best, uh, you know, the, the ability to have children naturally? It's a very good question, but the, the answer to that is a crystal ball because at the end of the day, um, 90% of couples don't have a problem. Oh. And they drink milk out of plastic bottles and there's polyphenols in the water and a whole lot of other thing in the meat and this and that. They don't have a problem. So the patients that look at that is that 10% that now end up with a problem because they've lost control over a very basic element and that is just to close their doors and fall pregnant. Now suddenly... They've got to seek help. So now they suddenly say, well, I better clean up my life because it says I shouldn't smoke, I shouldn't drink, I shouldn't have too many sugars. Now I should really be on a Mediterranean diet. But why are you going to drive these young girls crazy 
okay, at a stage of their lives where they, they're probably quite embarrassed about talking about things like periods and eggs and having to worry about conception when they're not looking at boys at that age and not even thinking about getting married in the near future. Um, so the, the question that we want to try and answer is, can we determine, maybe genetically, which females have an egg age that's way in excess of their chronological age. And then you can select out that group and say that when they get into the early 20s, they should put the eggs in the freezer. Oh. But if we look at it and we say, you know, just get on with your lives, and there is really nothing else to do that's going to make you more fertile because you could be superbly fertile as a female, as I said, and, and marry a man who's got five sperm to his name. There's nothing wrong with you. So I think we've got to be careful to, to drive the population crazy about how do I now make sure that I empower myself and keep myself fertile. The one issue is get married younger if you can. If you can't and you are now in your late 20s, early 30s, consider seeing a good fertility unit that gets good results with frozen eggs and go and talk about egg freezing. And just interestingly, if we look at the data now from when we started to freeze eggs robustly and get pregnancies, um, there is no more than 20% will come back to use the eggs. Hmm. So, you know, a good 80% of those patients are going to fall pregnant naturally. Is that almost like they, they don't have that anxiety thinking that they're going to fall pregnant? Like they know that there's an egg for, we're waiting for them. They kind of relax. They know they can fall pregnant naturally if they wanted to. Yeah, it is. It, it's, you know, it's, it's like having an insurance policy on your life. Mm. But Just, not, every, not every woman is going to, even though you tell her that, she's still going to make an informed decision and say, you know what, I'm not going to freeze my eggs. But at least, at least she was counseled, at least she was given the opportunity. But you, one needs to counsel her in many ways because, you know, as I said, you can't think because you've got 20 eggs in the freezer that you've got 20 babies. 20 eggs in the freezer from a 28-year-old uh, today would probably give us two babies. Well, wow. Adel, I think that the, the concept of anxiety comes in here, you know, where it's, we overanalyze, we overthink, we make ourselves crazy for no reason because, I don't know, we don't have the, right, the correct knowledge or, you know, we haven't seeked the right help. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of anxiety, Dr. Gobert, that you deal with on a day-to-day basis with women. Um, and if you can just help us explain how does anxiety, you know, with falling pregnant, whether it's with RVF or naturally, play a role? They are, they are very anxious people. Our, our patients um, really, um, they, they've often been through the mill. And, uh, you know, it's a question of does stress affect fertility? And if we look at the literature and we look at the proper literature and you look at people like Professor Jackie Boyvin from Boston, uh, literature, uh, reams and reams of literature that show that um, the basic day-to-day stresses don't affect you. I think, and I've seen it in my 32 years of reproductive medicine, um, you see patients who get themselves into an emotional spiral And I really believe that, you know, we all have a subconscious and our subconscious, I believe, is the strongest organ um, in our body. And unfortunately, a lot of these patients go through very negative experiences. 
And I think that they have their own way, you know, in light of the stress of the infertility, that they get that body into such a tight spiral that they Mm. don't want to experience Mm. negative results and therefore somehow are inhibiting their ability to conceive. So we do believe that counseling is very important, and and, uh, especially, and we can see the patients, you know. You can see those that are really taking strain, and the first thing I would do is before I even look at the sperm count, rather send them to a counselor. Because until you unwind that aspect, you're fighting uh, an emotional side of them that is definitely negatively impacting. You know, I get patients that lean over my desk, look me in the eye, and they say, Lawrence, I'm leaving here pregnant. And you know what? They leave pregnant. And then you get other patients. You can see from the start, this is going to be an uphill battle. So, you know, we have many aspects. It's not just about male factor, female factor, combination of factors. We have a couple who have gone through serious pain. I had a call this morning uh, for help. From and she's 46 now, and she has gone through the mill. And the only reason is I know her because I uh, I worked with her quite a few years ago, um, and uh, that she's absolutely desperate. And her marriage is almost on the rocks, and uh, she's just going nowhere. So you know, I've said to her, "Fine, let's give you an opinion, and let's see how we go." But you can see how devastating it is, and 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 how it's all, it's a death. You know, the, these patients experience a death, and and uh, every time they uh, have another period. That's a, they mourn the death of the pregnancy that should have been there. And this goes on and on and on. And let me tell you, after you've done it a few times and you've done negative IVFs one after the other, um, each time there's a negative result, you, you're just hammering this per person further and further into the ground. You know, So we have to be aware of this. So the holistic approach is very important. And yeah. I think we've got to be careful because there are people who conceive in times of war, okay? There are people who conceive in times of famine who are seriously stressed out. But those are different stresses, and those stresses don't seem to negatively impact. Mm. Just as you're talking, I'm sorry, as you're talking, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, what do you do with your stress of watching people stress? Mm. That must be a very stressful job. Yeah, I come home and I take it out on the dogs. And then, uh, fortunately, I'm married. I hope nobody from the SCCA is... Yeah, we, we might have to come and save your dogs. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would never do that. I love my schnauzers. I'd never do that. Um, but, yeah, we do. We do. We burn out. We do burn out. Uh, we fortunately are a group practice, five doctors, and we're able to de-stress amongst each other. Um, but we are fully aware of it, and uh, it can be an extremely taxing day when you go through 18, 20 patients. Uh, fortunately, you know, when I started uh, back uh, late 89, early 90, um, we had a pregnancy rate of about 2%. So you sat in your hot seat trying to explain to the patients why they didn't conceive. Uh, and that was after an embryo transfer where we admitted them for four or five days and we had their head down and their legs in the air and there was a matron who shouted at them if they coughed, sneeze or laughed. And they had to do bladder and bowel actions in a bedpan. They weren't allowed to move and we had a 2% pregnancy rate. And the only thing that happened to those patients is they got severe headaches because their brain was full of blood from lying head down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, today we have somewhere between 65 and even up to 80, 90% pregnancy rate. So you wow. don't sit in your hot chair as often as you used to. And that has made a big difference for us. 
Right, right. That's absolutely Thank incredible. You. We're talking to Dr. Lawrence Goberts. If you'd like to ask the doctor a question or you have a comment, it's 34519. That's our SMS line, 061-895-1019. Dr. Goberts, can we talk a little bit about PCOS? Because it seems like every single teenager and every young woman walking around today has this condition. Um, is that a fallacy? Um, is it something that affects infertility? What's the story behind PCOS? And maybe give a definition and explain it in the first place for those who don't know what it's all about. Yeah, I think it's a highly overrated thing um, on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, PCOS is a syndrome. And you have to have two out of the three things. And firstly, you have to have the ultrasound appearance. Now, a lot of girls are walking around with very healthy ovaries, and unfortunately, the, the gynecologist puts a probe in and says you've got PCOS. Instead of saying, you know what, you've got really good ovaries, and your husband's going to have to pay a lot more in Goonies Labola for those ovaries. <laughs> so it's completely... Secondly, so besides having that appearance on ultrasound, you then have to have androgenization, so you have to have bad skin. You have to have male hair distribution, so abnormal hair in a male distribution. But I'm talking not lenugo. Lenugo is those baby hairs, which are genetic. Okay, Your mother will have them. Your baba will have them. That is not part of polycystic ovaries. You have to get to a stage where you're actually going to have to pluck out the black hairs or you're going to have to shave. Then the final thing is you have to have elevated male hormone levels. So the majority of these young girls who've got beautiful looking ovaries are scanned by a gynecologist who has nothing else to do but make sure that the patient leaves the office with the diagnosis so that the doctor feels that the patient's, you know, he's earned his money or, he, or she's earned her money. So it's, it's so overrated. And I mean, if you look at the incidence in the population, what you're telling me that 100% of young girls have got PCOS is wrong. It's a very low incidence in the general population. So... Polycystic ovarian syndrome, there are classifications and there are uh, so international classifications. And the majority of these people that are told they've got PCOS, they haven't got PCOS. You know? <laughs> so at the end of the day, it is a syndrome, it is a condition that in most cases, if you have a genuine polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's often associated with uh, and ovulation. So those patients either don't menstruate or they have very irregular menses. And it's not something to hassle about on the one hand, because if you do have polycystic ovaries in inverted commas, the best treatment is do you want to fall pregnant? If it's yes, go to a good fertility unit. If it's no, get on the contraceptive pill, provided there are no contraindications to the pill. So that's how you manage it, you know. And the other thing is there is a direct correlation between the BMI, and that's the body mass index, or one's weight, and carbohydrate intolerance. And often when patients go above a threshold, it then falls into place. So it is an endocrine problem. But don't go to an endocrinologist to have it managed, okay? You really just need to go and take yourself off and go and get a good consultation from a good fertility specialist, and it'll all be put into uh, perspective, you know, because you get all this stuff. Are you suffering from PCOS? You don't suffer from PCOS, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's, a, it's a metabolic thing. And, and what's more important is that patient gets the right dietary advice and, and loses weight. But then it's so heterogeneous that we also get the asthenic polycystic patients who are classically thin as a rake, okay, but they have the full-blown 
symptoms together with, if you put it all together, they form the syndrome. So it is so heterogeneous, and unfortunately, it, the diagnosis is branded around like, you know, uh, it's like, oh, you know, what about it? You, you got PCOS, you got PCOS, you got PCOS, everybody's got PCOS. It's nice because then you can WhatsApp your friend or you can get onto Facebook and you can change your profile and say, I'm a PCOS lady and I'm suffering <laughs> from PCOS. In this country, everyone is suffering, you know. We're so, talking to you. We're talking to Dr. Lawrence Gerbert, um about all things um, fertile and infertile. We're going to take a little bit of an air break and we'll be back shortly. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. We're discussing infertility, and I think one of the uh, big questions today, Dr. Goberts, is the vaccine. Can we like get into that like almost hairier discussion? If you are um, looking to fall pregnant, or you are in that age gap that you know you're going to want to have a family, how safe? Or what would you say to somebody if they say to you now, Dr. Goberts, should I get the 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 SARS, uh, you know, vaccine? So we get calls every day, we get emails every day, and uh, I think that there's a lot of directives out there, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the Reproductive Medicine Society of America, the European Society, Human Reproduction, and uh, I always say, firstly, fear the virus, not the vaccine. Uh, I think that's very important. Number two, if you're going to do IVF, get the vaccine. If you're going to fall pregnant, get the vaccine. If you're pregnant, get the vaccine. It is not a live virus, okay? It is not a live virus. So, you know, I always say mothers make babies, all right? But you get, you don't get the vaccine and you do contract COVID and you do have a storm, you lose both mother and you lose a wife and you lose the baby in the patient. So, you know, at the end of the day, it is safe to vaccinate women who are wanting to conceive, and it's even safe to conceive, I mean, in, in, it's even safe to vaccinate in a pregnancy. Right. So this, all this talk about that, the, the, you know, this vaccine can cause infertility, is there insufficient evidence against this now? You know, is, 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 is it prudent to sit and wait or not? You, you, you have no qualms about it. It's a bubble masses. Hey, do you know what a bobomice is? I do know what a bobomice is. (laughs) Dr. Gobert, I'd like to ask you, though, like when when we get so many opinions, you know, Adel and I, we like to search for the truth. (laughs) We go from one person to the next, and we obviously get a lot of information from different people, and we try and put the pieces together. You know, when Mm. when it comes to fertility and someone going to a gynecologist and saying to them, what's wrong with me? And like you say, when it comes to PCOS, oh, well, you've got PCOS, and now the person goes home, believes that they have PCOS, and believes that they can't fall pregnant, but really they actually don't. How do you yeah. as a doctor deal with other doctors' misinformation with a, with a patient? And also, I mean, I'm sure it takes a long time for the patient to find someone like you to come and get the actual answer. Well, you know, patients, I, I always encourage patients to read up about their conditions, because often patients will come to you knowing more about the condition than what the gynecologist knows. And the interesting thing is, and and it's unfortunate because we are faced with this every day, 
And the patient comes into us with the gynecologist having scanned a year ago and told her that she's got PCOS or PCOS, and we put a scan machine in, look at her antral follicles, and this lady's like uh, maybe uh, half a year away from going into the menopause, and she's got hardly any eggs. Mm. So unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, you, you're either passionate about what you do and you realize your limitations, and you actually, if the patient has a problem, and the problem is infertility, you let the patient go to a good fertility clinic. You don't try and manage it yourself. But to beware of labeling patients with a condition that they don't really have. I cannot take responsibility for my colleagues, but unfortunately we see that every day. And the only way that we can put it across is to say, listen here, my dear, this is what your problem is. You know, it's very easy to say, don't take the Mercedes to the Volkswagen garage for a service. Take it to the Mercedes garage for a service. But, but at the end of the day, we this every single day of our practice. And we are five doctors in our units, a group practice, and we see many, many patients. And unfortunately, uh, fertility units are sort of known as the end of the road units. And that if you're going to fertility unit, they're going to put you on an IVF program. We don't work like that. The patients in South Africa are very fortunate because in, uh, in America, if you go to a fertility unit, it's just for IVF. You know, in this, un- in this country, it's not just for IVF. It's to sort out minor problems and get you pregnant with the easiest and basic way of doing it. Yes, you have your absolute patients who need IVF. They cannot do it any other way. But... Interestingly, we sit with this problem every single day. Not only that, we sit with patients having unnecessary surgical procedures that end up causing the infertility. Mm. Okay? So patients who have surgical procedures where the doctors go in and things are done in their pelvis that are now causing scarring from the surgery and now we have to do IVF. Or they go in and they do inappropriate uterine surgery and cause scarring in the uterus and now we have to go and fix that. So patients must be aware that if they have a fertility problem and the regular general gynecologist is telling them something do me a favor, go and get an opinion from a fertility clinic. We are living in 2021 now. We are not living in 1820. So be aware of the fact that when you go to a fertility unit, you are going to be slapped on an IVF program immediately. So I think people just have to kind of get rid rid of that stigma in their brains and just know not to have that fear of coming to a fertility clinic and do do it the right way to start with. I think it's a big message people have to understand. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think you, you, you mentioned a very big word, stigma, okay? And we need to appreciate that fertility or infertility is no less of a disease than tonsillitis, than uh, whatever other condition, appendicitis. And unfortunately, the stigma stems right back to biblical days, Okay. Mm. So that stigma still lives with us today, and we need to overcome that stigma for a patient to know. And you know what one of their biggest fears is, is that they'll walk into our waiting room and bump into someone that they know who they haven't told that they have a fertility problem. Because anyone who's in our waiting room is there for one reason. You know, you're not there to have your ingrown toenail managed. (laughs) So at the end of the day, that's one of their biggest fears. And they need to understand that, that... 
you know, sharing is caring. And there are many people out there that have the same problem that you have, and it's not a stigma. And I think that that's, I think that that's I, such an important – sorry, I think that that's such an important thing because – Yes, it is something that is kept, it's kept private, understandably, because it is something intimate between, you know, husband and wife, or between the couple. Um, and, and that does, I think that that fuels into the anxiety, you know, and, and then you get your, the peer pressure of people having babies around you and, 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 and not talking about it. And then what's kind of like what's wrong with you, you know, and I think that maybe, you know, more education, um, you know, two people out there to, to actually understand, as you have said, that it's an illness as much as there's other illnesses. You don't feel bad going to, you know, the orthopedic mm. because your leg's crooked or the cardiologist because your, your you know, heart's not ticking right. But even Correct. more simple than that, I think Correct. it could also just have people understand that it could be something simple that needs to be corrected. It doesn't have to be something major. And we all have this fear of this diagnosis, this major diagnosis. I'm going to Vita Lab and they're going to tell me such and such when it could actually be something as simple as falling pregnant the next month. But we just have that that anxiety and fear of, of being in that waiting room. Yeah, we, we, we have to try and overcome that. And, you know, one says, well, what about support groups? And interestingly, um, you get some really avid uh, patients who achieve a pregnancy and then they start a support group. And then eventually they lose interest and the support group falls away. And uh, I just think today with WhatsApp groups, etc., you know, we should, we should be supporting each other. I'm saying we, the patients, should be supporting each other. And to find your best friend in the same waiting room as yourself is not a skunder, you know. And then gives you an opportunity to share it with you. Right. We're just going to go for a little break. Time is running out. Um, we'll be back shortly. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. This has definitely been a very fascinating and I must say um, eye-opening discussion in just uh, blowing away the myths of infertility. Um, I actually have a number of questions that are, are coming in, and maybe Dr. Gobitz, we're going to have to pull you back again um, from, from your busy schedule to, to help us understand. Let's just sum it up. If, if, if you know, if, if you had a message to give out to, to, to people, what would that be? The, the message would be, number one, don't see it as uh, an embarrassment. Um, number two, if you have a fertility problem, go to a fertility clinic. Don't stay with your regular gynecologist because they are gynecologists who deal with all the general stuff. Rather just go to your fertility clinic and get the right opinion and get the right treatment. Right. Okay. And that's great. If, if there are people are wanting to contact you, how can they contact you? Um, so you can get to us on our website, www.vitalab.com. You can also get to us via Facebook, uh, also, www, it's also vitalab.com. Um, we're on LinkedIn as well as vitalab.com and the line, the, uh, telephone line is 011-911-4700. I repeat, 011-911-4700.
Thank you so much for your invaluable time and for all your expertise. Um, this is certainly something that I that I know that you know um, I've certainly met people um, who are struggling in this area. This does give us hope. And what is absolutely amazing when when we do have these discussions is that I'm I'm always in awe of modern technology and what can be done today. To, to help people in this area. So, as you said, we're, we're not living in the 1930s or, you know, in a time we, we are going in blind. And there is a tremendous amount of help out there, and we encourage our listeners um, not to be embarrassed, not to be shy, and to ask the right questions and get educated properly in this area. So thank you again for, 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 for your time, Faggy. It was great to be back. And, so good um, to be back. Thank you, Edel. Looking forward to... Uh, to, to many more Healthy You, Wealthy You programs where we are trying to help educate and trying to educate ourselves, educate you, you there out there um, on, on, on things healthy because it is our greatest wealth. Have a great day ahead and a Purim Samer to everybody out there. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Fagi. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.